This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In their new book titled Innovation Tournaments, Creating and Selecting Exceptional Opportunities, Wharton professors Christian Turwish and Carl Ulrich point out that identifying new opportunities shouldn't be seen as a luxury, but a necessity. They note that creativity and process-driven rigor can go hand-in-hand when it comes to vetting and managing new ideas. One way to do this, they explain, is by making new ideas compete with one another in numerous rounds of vetting, that is, by running them through innovation tournaments, so that the strongest, most promising ideas make it to the final round. Rich rewards await companies that make the leap. Christian and Carl, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton Podcasts about your book. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us here. Uh, uh, before we talk about the book, I wonder if we can talk about a sort of general question about innovation itself. Uh, companies often equate investment in R&D with the metric that, is, that shows how much they value innovation. Uh, I wonder if you believe this is true, and if, if so, or, or if not, what, what, what really makes a company innovative. It is certainly true that the vast majority of the companies think this way, yet both on a case-by-case basis as well as based on large aggregate financial data, we show that there is no clear systemic relationship between how much you spent on R&D versus how financially successful you will become afterwards. So it's not about how much you spent, it's really how you manage the innovation process. But but I would add that R&D spending itself is what people tend to measure with respect to innovation. It's actually a pretty incomplete measure. So I think what we would like to consider innovation is broader than just R&D. And some of what happens in R&D you wouldn't really think of necessarily as as innovation. So having said that, it's the best proxy we have, I think, for measuring innovation. And as Christian points out, we don't see a relationship between R&D spending and overall financial performance. So your book is about innovation tournaments. And I guess a logical question to start with would be, what exactly is an innovation tournament? And how can companies use them to identify exceptional opportunities? Well, a tournament is a organizational problem-solving process in which a large number of opportunities are identified and then systematically evaluated and filtered until only a few exceptional opportunities remain. And a tournament, like its, like its counterpart in, in sports, is one in which you have, you have a large number of candidates who show up, but only a very few of those will end up emerging as the truly exceptional. And the challenge is how to evaluate those candidates without going out of business, without spending a lot of resources. I want you really to think about it in the way of American Idol, right? I mean, you start with many, you have a round of filters, and at the end you have some, whether you like them singing or not, but you have some remarkable personalities left. I think that's a very powerful metaphor to think about tournaments. Right. We also offer some really interesting examples in the book uh, uh, of products like Zocor or the Oral-B toothbrush. Uh, could you talk, us, talk about some examples of how companies have used this process? Yeah, we got started with our collaboration with Merck and the pharmaceutical industry where 
we noticed that we were absolutely clueless about all the medical and chemical details that were associated to the products flowing through their pipeline. But at some point, we, we really made this link to the uh, American Idol metaphor and really thought about the system as, uh, as an overall process and then applied our operations management mindset on how to manage this process to obtain an optimal amount of performance. It's, it's worth pointing out that, that we certainly didn't invent, invent the idea of a tournament. Tournaments we all use in everyday life, they're used in society, they're used in organizations. You think about, for example, hiring a chief executive, you'll use a tournament structure to do that. So really what we've done is to observe that tournaments are widely used in innovation, but that there's almost no science as to how to manage them better. And since they're so expensive and so important, we really felt that the time was ripe to bring to bear some structured thinking on the process of managing the tournament. I mean, one of the really interesting examples I found in your book was uh, uh, when you t speak about the context in which uh, these tournaments are quite effective. Uh, for example, Pixar used it for one of its blockbuster movies, right, uh, Cars. Uh, and I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that example. Sure. Well, well, Pixar, what's interesting about Pixar is we think of them as the epitome of a creative industry. And often we don't think of creative industries as, as having structured processes. But what's really interesting about Pixar is that Pixar embeds an intensely creative micro-level activity within a fairly structured macro-level activity. And so every year, Pixar on average will consider about 500 different pitches for new animated motion pictures. And then over a series of years, they'll winnow those 500 down to the critical few that they'll then actually make into movies. So for example, for the movie Cars, the one a pitch is a one-sentence description of that movie, which if I remember it correctly is a a hotshot race car named Lightning McQueen gets waylaid in Radiator Springs where he finds the meaning of friendship and family. So Pixar made an initial dis decision as to which opportunities to pursue based on that one sentence and other sentences like it that described a new idea for a movie. What interested us always in this type of setting is that the dollars, the big budgets, are spent towards the end of the tournament. And when the movie is actually produced, when the animation is done, that's where the money is spent, and that's where the senior executive spends their attention. But the upfront is very unstructured often. Now, if you think about innovation like a gold mine, uh, even if you have the best miners in the world and, and they do a good job uh, with their shovel, it's almost impossible to get uh, gold out of a location where there's just nothing to, to be found. And so our goal really has been to go into this very front end and apply some structured thinking here. Uh, what can companies do to stimulate more opportunity generation by its own people? Well, one of the things we observe is that there's a, there's a great deal of variation in ability across the different individuals in an organization. And this isn't a very popular idea in most organizations because we like to think of opportunity, opportunity identification as a very egalitarian, open kind of process. But what I would say is that it's critically important to identify 
those individuals in an organization who are ex exceptionally good at this and to make sure that you're devoting enough resources to those people. Uh, and if you can do that, then you can be substantially more productive in generating both more opportunities and better opportunities. You can also leverage some new technologies, especially on the web, that deal with idea management. So really going beyond the good old brainstorming meeting where you have five people sit around a flip chart, and by using web-based tools, some of them we developed as part of our research for this book, uh, we find that teams working with such tools are substantially more successful in generating exceptional opportunities. How did the, the Red Bull energy drink come about and what does that experience teach about uh, sensing innovation opportunities from external sources? As important as, as it is to generate ideas internally, there's nothing wrong with just uh, sensing them externally and just going through the world with open eyes and, and look for opportunities that you then translate and apply to other markets. So Red Bull, with the super success that it enjoyed initially in Europe and later on in the U.S., was not brewed up by some big pharma company or big food company in a lab, but instead was a, a drink that, that people in Asia had, had used for a while. And the big commercial value was created in the case of Red Bull by identifying or sensing, understanding the value of this opportunity and putting it in another context, initially in, in, into the German and Austrian markets, and then later on in the whole world. Yeah, I think, in, in fact, it was, a, it, was a, it was a drink used by Thai truck drivers originally. That was the original application. And the entrepreneur was able to sense, you know, on a visit to Thailand, was able to sense that that, that formulation might have appeal to club goers and and the youth uh, throughout the world. As you tell in your uh, book, uh, he, he found initially it was very effective in reducing his own jet lag, <laughs> uh, which is when he decided that uh, this, there might be a market for this. It's a, it's a great story. Uh, also, what can companies learn from the British Olympics Association about effective screening processes for innovation? We use the sports example uh, partly because we are passionate athletes, both of us, but uh, partly because you see uh, a number of uh, countries that are hungry for athletic talent in their pursuit for Olympic gold have created uh, fairly sophisticated systems, very much similar to the American Idol contest, in which uh, talent is screened across the country um, thousands of, uh, of people in, in, in the young ages are screened for their physical ability to succeed in, in a certain set of sports. And then the limited resources are deployed wisely uh, so that you only, you, know, you only invest your resources in the most uh, talented athletes that have the biggest chance of, uh, of winning the gold. And, and we feel that this metaphor is, is very similar to the many ideas that are going around in companies and then through the tournament logic, need to be structured and, and, and move to ultimately the blockbuster success. Uh, what approaches should companies use to identify innovations that are aligned with their corporate strategy? Well, there, there are two ways to think about that. One, one way to think about it is that you start with strategy and you pull new opportunities. and. One way to do that is, is, for example, chartering an opportunity identification project that looks at specific 
strategic needs of, of the corporation. So, for example, if if uh, you're in the energy, you, if you're in electric utility, you might focus on opportunities related to renewable energy and emerging needs for environmental performance. Um, but the other way that you do it is that you simply apply a set of filters that reflect your strategic intent. So you look at all opportunities that, that, that come in over the transom, and then you filter them based on your st strategic objectives. We have used innovation tournaments both for individual entrepreneur and large, large companies. And where those two applications differ the most is that for large existing companies, uh, the link to, to business strategy is absolutely critical. And, uh, you know, mostly uh, the innovation tournaments for big company will not just identify one idea and one winner, but lead to a portfolio that need to be then aligned with the business strategy. And in the book, we've outlined a couple of specific tools that let you do this alignment. Uh, how should companies think about the short-term and long-term profit potential of their innovations? The short-term is, is, is quite easy, and we are uh, finance people enough that we strongly believe in discounted cash flows. Um, the opportunities that are uh, what we call Horizon 1 opportunities have relatively little uncertainty associated with them. You know if you are launching another flavor of Colgate toothpaste into a market next year, you pretty much have a good mental model of what sales are going to be, and so you can just rely on standard financial models to deal with this. Um, if you're thinking about future horizon where a lot of uncertainty still clouds the numbers, uh, instead of just relying on a standard discounted cash flow model, we would recommend that you think about the uncertainty resolution, uh, you know, what needs to be found out about the future and how can this uncertainty be resolved associated with an opportunity before you start building some fancy spreadsheet models. So in fact, we have a, we lay out a, a, a simple tool which is really just a listing of all the uncertainties that you face in, in addressing an opportunity. And we basically recommend that you rank order those, the, the, the tasks that you could take on based on how efficient they are at resolving that uncertainty. And so, for example, you want to pick the task that's least expensive and resolves the most uncertainty and do those things first. And, and that's more of a discovery-driven approach to mining the innovation opportunity. Uh, you also note that some innovation tournaments are cascades, while others are whirlpools. Uh, what exactly do you mean by the, that distinction and what are the implications for companies? Well, if, if we go back to the American Idol example that Christian cited, American Idol is almost a complete pure cascade in the sense that several hundred thousand contestants arrive on day one and they're filtered and once you've been eliminated, you, you're gone. You don't have a chance to, to, to proceed. And furthermore, no new singers show up in the middle of the competition. If you weren't there on day one, you aren't going to be there in round four. Um, that's actually a little bit atypical. In a, in a more typical innovation tournament, both of those things can happen. That is, it's not unusual that an idea or an opportunity that, that's killed early on might reemerge when, when, when the world has changed or when the opportunity has been further developed. 
And furthermore, it's also possibility. It's possible that some new opportunity will, will sprout up in the middle of the process because of some new learning that you've had as a result of going through, of developing some of the other opportunities. So in that kind of tournament, it resembles more of a whirlpool. That is, it has more iteration and reflow than a pure cascade where everything that starts in the beginning just, just cascades in, in one direction. Uh, how should companies organize themselves for innovation? The key decisions that you need to make is really how to run your uh, tournament and who is allowed to play with it. Uh, it's maybe helpful to distinguish two uh, things that are happening in the tournament. One is the generation of contestants, and then the other ones are the, the referees or the, the people who make the scores of who is allowed to go to the next round. Um, both of these uh, decisions can be done either in the firm or outside the firm. Uh, for example, a firm can rely on its customers, its suppliers, or just the, the general public to generate ideas, or it can generate ideas in, in the lab or in, in some other function internally. Uh, similarly, a company can rely on its marketing, its senior management to judge which ideas are moved forward, or it can rely on early customer feedback, it can rely on, especially these days, on web-based uh, media uh, like, yeah, like, like YouTube, like uh, QVC is testing out a lot of their products early on on cable television. It can rely on the external world to do the filtering. So the two key organizational decisions you have to make is with respect to generation, are you doing it internally or externally? And with respect to the filtering and selection, are you doing it internally and or externally? I mean, an another, another decision that organizations face in administering innovation tournaments is the extent to which they centralize the innovation activity as well. In, in large organizations, you typically have a lot of geographic diversity in the, in the operating units. And it's sometimes really nice to do innovation out in the geographically dispersed units in that those units are very close to their customers and the needs of the company might vary geographically. On the other hand, there are real advantages to doing innovation more centrally in that you can identify common platforms, common processes, and then apply some efficiency to deploying the innovation across the organization. So most large, large organizations face a tension between wanting to do innovation close to the customer in a very distributed way and wanting to do it very efficiently in a centralized way. Uh, any final words of advice for companies that want to get started down this path of innovation tournaments? Well, the first bit of advice would be to just get started. And one really easy way to get started is to hold just a one-day tournament. We've done a lot of those in, in both the classroom and, and with companies. And we found that in, in one day or even half a day, you can get started. And the way to get started is to establish a charter for the, for the group, for a group of, of people that are brought together generate some opportunities using brainstorming and other ideation techniques, and then having a usually just a one or a two round runoff in which you pitch the opportunities and then do some kind of voting to filter them and, and evaluate them. And typically at the end of the day, the group will have a dozen or so very interesting opportunities. And just that one day workshop is enough often to energize an organization to make tournaments a more systematic part of the process. We've run tournaments with professional service companies and we've run them with consumer good companies. 
And we've always been amazed, and I think our participants have always been amazed, how cheap it is actually to generate a number of really good ideas. So at the end of a day-long workshop, we typically have uh, up to 100 new ideas um, that are then, uh, once they are appropriately filtered, really leading to a handful, if not a dozen, of potentially exceptional ideas. And all that was the investment of, of just a single day of work. And so uh, running a workshop, as Carl said, is, is really the best way to get started with innovation tournaments. Great. Uh, Carl, Christian, thanks so much for speaking with us today. It's our pleasure. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.